Hope you're having an amazing uh, day. If you're watching online, we love you. If you are listening online, we love you. We're thinking of the Fathom fam scattered out all over the place and uh, excited about that. Hey, let me help all of you out. Uh, next week is Mother's Day. Just throwing you a solid here. If you've got a, got a lady or a mom in your life, go ahead and jump on that this week. Try to wrap, her, wrap your brain around what it takes to, to show some love to the ladies and uh, moms in your life. And uh, we're excited next week. Again, two service opportunities. We can't wait to just spoil and encourage the ladies in the house. Um, and I, I don't know, it's, it's kind of weird, to be honest, but I get super excited to speak on Mother's Day. It's, it's weird how much I get excited about it because I, know, I, I think what it is is I just know how much uh, moms and the ladies mean in my life, and I just want an opportunity to just encourage and challenge uh, the men and the children in the room for us to be able to encourage the ladies in our life. So I can't wait for next week. We got special gifts and a uh, special word for, for the ladies. So we'd love to see you join us next week for Mother's Day. Invite all the ladies out in your life. It's going to be fun. Uh, last week, I told you that we kicked off a new series called Here and Now. And today I want to take on part two of that. And uh, one of the big things that's right now that's going on is Avengers Endgame. How many of you guys have seen Avengers Endgame, right? Yeah, a lot of you. Somebody asked me, somebody asked me if I had seen it yet, and I said no, but I did just see Xfinity War, which is the one that came out like two years ago. I did just see that one. So it was on Netflix, so caught, caught, caught up. I'm ready now. Um, so you got to get yourself ready. Uh, but I thought it'd be funny. Uh, one of the things that, that's taking place every time something new comes out is this will be like, it's like the highest grossing movie of all time. And so everybody loves on social media to do the GOAT thing. Like, what's the GOAT? And so I want to do what's the, the, the GOAT when it comes to superheroes. So I want to hear, what do you think are the greatest superheroes of all time? What's your greatest superhero? Somebody shout it out. Let me hear you. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Who is that? His wife. Oh, suck up. <laughs> Ushers, take that suck up out of the room. So, um, anybody else? Su- greatest superhero of all time? Iron Man, he's pretty beast. Like, he can kind of do all kinds of things, and he keeps coming up with new things, too. It's like unlimited superpowers. Anybody else? Greatest superhero of all time? Jesus. Again, Usher. <laughs> Usher. No. Uh, for me, I love Batman. Batman is not the greatest superhero of all time. His powers are very limited, but I'm just a Batman guy. Uh, but it, there's always this conversation about who's the GOAT. Like, in, every time football comes around, and back in the day, it was Tom Brady and Peyton Manning going at it. Who's the GOAT? And, like, we forget about Joe Montana and all those people that, that were around. Uh, every time the Olympics come around, it's like, who's the greatest Olympian of all time? And it's just kind of funny that every time the Olympics come around, it's a new greatest Olympian of all time because they just won more, who's the greatest female athlete, and we're just always, there's always this conversation of, of, of who's, uh, who's the GOAT, you know, who's the GOAT, and, and I think, uh, I, what to me, I think we're all a little biased because it, it seems to me that it's always about the right now, it's like they're the GOAT right now, and it's always like subject to change until the next movie comes out, you know, it's the greatest Avengers movie yet, until the next one comes out. They're the greatest court until the next one. And like it seems whatever's right in front of us is what we think is the greatest. And I think we do this in a Christian life a lot too. Like we, we get enamored with what's shiny, what's something distracts us that's right in front of us. Uh, uh, I find when people like come to know Jesus and like, I love Jesus and, and I'm all in. And then 
something distracts us, something good, something bad. Like sometimes it's, you know, I find out about this new thing and I'm obsessed with this one chapter in the Bible. And then I, I find out about this new revelation and then I'm obsessed with that. And it, and it, it seems, and we don't realize it, but it, kinda, it takes kind of the greatest place in our life. It, it begins to take priority over other things. And so today I, I want to talk about the goat. I, I want to talk about the goat of our Christian life. And uh, love is the goat. I want to talk about love. Uh, love is the goat. Everybody turn to somebody and say, love's the goat. Love is the goat. Come on, you know you want to say it. Love's the goat. <laughs> love is the goat. And so I, I want to talk about love today. And to do so, I want to turn to a passage, in script, a passage of Scripture, actually the one chapter in the Bible that they call the love chapter. Anybody know where that's at? 1 Corinthians 13. See, I asked the question, then I answered it faster than you could answer it. That was stupid. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. People call this the love chapter. And, uh, it, and, it, and it is. I mean, it's, it's really a, Paul is defining a love for us. But before we lean into this text and really look at 1 Corinthians 13, I, I really want to, to, to lead us up to that and make sure we've got some context for what we're reading. That's always really important. Don't just take the verse out, but let's make sure we understand uh, what's being said. So uh, beginning with uh, Paul, again, he's talking to a church at Corinth. So he's talking to a specific church in a specific time, and uh, they're in this city called Corinth. And if you know anything about Corinth, I talked about them a few weeks ago, Corinth is a little bit messy, uh, like most churches. Like actually every church you'll ever be in is, is messy, and you probably know what I mean by that is that it's filled with imperfect people. Uh, and so you're, you're never going to escape the imperfection of people from this stage to every row you find uh, imperfection. And so Paul is actually teaching through that, but we're not called to stay in that messiness. God actually calls us into his glorious light and to be a transformative uh, or to be transformed into uh, his love. And, and so Paul is teaching. He's teaching them about a bunch of things. He's teaching them about abuses of the Lord's Supper. Like they're coming, but they're kind of doing it in the wrong manner and they're doing it selfishly. Uh, and so he goes through that in chapter 10. He's, he's addressing some concerns he has with uh, the, the, the way in which they're dressing, they're taking on some like cultural norms that are really like representative of goddesses of the area. And, and so he's addressing some things like that. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he pivots. He pivots to, in chapter 12 and he begins to talk about spiritual gifts. And uh, you've heard me talk about this from time to time if you've been around for a while. But he talks about spiritual gifts and he gives us this great imagery that's used a lot uh, around the church, that the church is the body of Christ. And so this is where we get um, a, a lot of this imagery, and, and he's explaining it that some of us are the hand, some of us are the foot, and some of us are the lungs, and some of us are the eyes, and some of us are the smile. And some of, like we've all got a different part of God's body. And, and, he, and he says this because he's teaching about spiritual gifts. And, and if we look at all of what the scriptures and what Paul teaches us on what spiritual gifts are, they're special endowments. They're special blessings of God's grace. And we translate those as spiritual gifts. They're, they're something that we didn't work for. Maybe it is a natural ability, but God redeems it for his glory. And it takes what is natural to what is, it's beyond what's natural. It's supernatural. It's powered by God's spirit. And so he's, he's teaching on this. And if we were to understand what Paul's teaching throughout the New Testament is on spiritual gifts, why does God give us these spiritual gifts? Look at these scriptures, and it's pretty clear why God gives us these, these gifts. 
It's not even for his glory. And I want you to notice, I, I think God receives glory when we use gifts because we are operating and using what he's given to us. But scripturally, why God has given us these gifts is for really one purpose. It's to build one another up. And it's to build up the body of Christ. He's given you a part to play. He's given you a part to play. He's given you a gift in, inside of who you are. And maybe you haven't even unearthed and understood what that gift is, but he's placed it inside of you for one reason, and it's to build up the body of Christ, to serve other people with, not even, not even for his glory, but it's for the, the, the glory of the church that we could be uh, built up in that. And so uh, it, it's a powerful thought to understand that. And so he brings out so many good points, and this is kind of a long context till we get in 1 Corinthians 13, but I think it's important to understand this. And so uh, he, he gets into this, and, and I, I want to highlight, he brings out a bunch of good things. I want to highlight three specific things. One, he encourages us to take joy in your gift. Take joy in your gift and know that you belong. Take joy in your gift and know that you belong. If you don't know what your gift is, we do something called DNA Sessions, uh, on the first and second Sunday of every month, the first session is really about getting to know who we are as a church, our DNA, our culture, uh, our beliefs, and, and, uh, and our mission. Uh, and the second uh, session next weekend is really designed to help you unpack and, and understand how God's created you, these spiritual gifts that God... And so we just kind of start the conversation there. It's not like a, a fancy osmosis and like, oh, here's your gift. No, it's a, it's a conversation. It's an exploration of our heart. And so if you don't know what that gift is... I'd encourage you to start digging because there's something God has placed inside of each one of us that is meant to build up the body of Christ. And oftentimes we think about the places in which we serve as a spiritual gift. And, and, it's, and it's not like a spiritual gift is not like kids. I like kids or, or uh, I like production. So that's a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is something, it's not, a, it's not a place we serve in. It's a place we serve from. It's a gift grace gift from God in which we serve from. And so it's an exploration and we continue to learn that. But take joy in your gift. Know that it, you belong with whatever you bring to the table. You, you belong here and, and we need you. And that's kind of the second thing that Paul gets into in Second Corinthians, or First Corinthians 12 is to take joy in the gifts of others that, and, and know that you need them. Look around this room and over two services and people online, like where you're at, that's a, that's a resource, not a replacement. We, we, we need one another. There's this, there's this old gospel song by this artist named Hezekiah Walker. Somebody heard of Hezekiah Walker? Yeah, there you go, represent little Hezekiah Walker. Uh, and he's got this song, this old school song uh, called I Need You to Survive. I love this song, man. It just it speaks to my heart. And, and if you haven't listened to this, you need to go listen to this song today. It's, it's this gospel song, and, and he says, I love you. And it's like the church would sing this to one, I love you, I, I need you. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me, agree with me. We're, uh, we're all a part of God's body. Uh, I won't harm you with words from my mouth. I love you. I need you to survive. It's his will that every need be supplied. You're important to me. Um, something, I need you to survive, <laughs> right? So my lyrics ran out on me. So um, uh, yeah, I need you to survive. And so this is what Paul's stressing to us, that, that the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The, the, the foot can't look up to the lungs and be like, I don't need you. No, no, I need you and you need me. We're, we're all a part uh, of God's body. And, and so he goes on, and, and I think another point that he highlights here, just highlights from chapter 12, that prominence doesn't equal significance. 
Prominence doesn't equal significance in the body of Christ. Uh, Platforms doesn't say anything about spiritual giftedness. Um, Who's in front of people doesn't say anything about priority or it's just because something's prominent doesn't mean it's it's less or it's more significant. Everything that you belong and we every single part is important. And Paul says, even the, the parts that are maybe dishonored, we actually raise those up and show special honor to those because all of it matters. And so all this talking, all this teaching, all this context so that I can read you this last verse. That was a long setup. Um, I can read you this last verse. And he says, and, and, and desire the, the gifts that, that, you know, the greater gifts. And he says, yet I'm going to show you the most excellent way. This is how he ends the chapter. It wasn't chapter when he wrote it, but it's a perfect way to end it as we move in and transition to 13. And the word excellent here is actually a Greek word you know. You do know some Greek. Uh, it's the Greek word hyperbole. Right, it would be said a little bit differently. He says, it, let me show you, like I can't say this enough, like a far superior, greater way than even the unity and gifts and what you have to offer is the way in which you Offer it. Not what you do for the body of Christ, but the way in which you do it for the body of Christ and its love. So let's read verses one through three and begins a process what God wants to speak to us this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses one through three to begin. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm like a a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. He is throwing down the gauntlet like, I don't care if you can literally talk like angels. I don't care, you know, how great your miracles are. I don't care if you give your life at the stake. If you don't have love, you've gained nothing. Like, nothing. I could break this down. Let's just break down these few things he says here. Like I'm like a clanging symbol. I'm, I'm nothing. I, I gain nothing. I, I think this whole clanging symbol, I always think it's annoying. <laughs> it's annoying to God. But another way, I think maybe a nicer way to say it is, is it's, it's presence without substance. Like if, if we can kind of play church if we can speak in the tongues of angels, he's, he's speaking about, about speaking in tongues because the church at Corinth really take that and, and they were just kind of abusing this gift that God has given us to build up the church and abusing it and he's saying, look, that, that's great, you can do that, but if you don't do it in love, if you don't understand love and are not living out love, it's just presence without substance. He says, even if you have get like a faith that can move the mountains, if you prophesy and you do all these great things, it's like you've got gifts without character. You've got talent without character. It's like you're nothing. Like you're, you're empty. Like what, what good is the talent? What good is the gift if the character of love is not present in you? And he says, even if you literally give everything you have in the offering every single week and you just pour it out, pour it out, even if you give your life to be burned at the stake, you have no, 
You're not going anywhere. Like, it's not moving. It's not successful for the kingdom of God. You could say it like this. It's sacrifice without success. You're giving all you got, but it's not successful because you're not doing it in love. I mean, why is Paul kind of leaning into this so and big, it's huge, because if we don't get this right, if we don't get love first, everything else is going to be wrong. We've gotten that a priority. We've got other things as the goat, like the, the style of service is more important to us. The, 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 uh, uh, the style of the pastor's teaching is more important to us, or the facilities have gotten more important to us. But if we don't get this right... If we don't get this right, everything else is going to be wrong. I know in construction, if you don't set that first post exactly in the line you want it to be, it's going to be way off. And so I'm calling us to realign the starting point. Realign and put love as the first priority in our life once again. Why is Paul saying this is such a big deal? Well, it's pretty simple. Because God is love. Like you and I, we do our best to love people. We can be perfectly loving in one moment and perfectly terrible in the next, if you're anything like me. But um, we do our best to love people, but God cannot help but love. Everything that he does in our life, every time he, he, he acts in your life for your benefit, every time it seems like God's even working against you, he's doing it out of love. He's allowing it to happen out of love, and he is drawing us into his kindness. John 1, um, 4, 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God. If we don't, if we don't love, it's because we don't, we don't know him because God is love. And we know God's love, it flows through us. And so this is, this is hard for us, for some of us right now in the room, like, man, I, I haven't been operating in God's love. I haven't been very loving to the people uh, around me. It's, it's convicting in this moment, but there's good news because God is love. We can receive his love fresh and new today and begin to pour that out and begin to... Um, and begin to, to give that to others. Uh, this week I heard somebody mispronounce the word represent. Um, and I immediately thought to myself, I'm like, did he even notice that he just mispronounced and that word? And it kind of was bothering me for a second. And I'm like, I think he did that on purpose. And I started thinking to myself, have I been mispronouncing this word my whole life? You ever done that? Like, you hear it, I'm like, wait a second, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. And so I started thinking about that. And it, it just, I just began to think about it. And God just dropped a bomb on me because he pronounced the word represent. This, this is what God's called us to as a church, as his sons and daughters. This is why this love thing has to be first, because we are called to represent his love as ambassadors of Christ, as sons and daughters of Christ, as the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, but he said, you're the light of the world. To carry that light into the darkness, we are called to represent that to our world, and our, our world doesn't know God because we haven't shown him. We haven't shown them the love of God. And, and Jesus says, this is how they're going to know. This is how they're going to see my love. Uh, not from your great you know, exploits in the city. Not, not from any of that stuff. This is not how they're going to know. Je Jesus said, John 13, 35. By this, everyone's going to know you're my disciples. Now you love one another. Now you treat one another. How you treat your family. How you treat your spouse. How you treat your fellow church folks. I treat the family of God. This is, this is how they're going to know. This is how you're going to represent the gospel to people every single day. And your job is by you operating in love. 
I just want to ask you, is your, is your life marked by love right now? Is it marked by love? And, and I would just tell us uh, today, if, like, what, what if this? What if our maturity in Christ is not measured by how long we've been in the faith? Our maturity in Christ isn't measured by how many scriptures we can quote. Our, our maturity in Christ is not measured by how many church activities we attend. It's this simple. Our maturity in Christ is measured by how consistently we are representing the love of God in every scenario. Like that's, that's it. That's the measuring stick. Are you showing me? Are you showing me to your brothers and sisters? Because how you do that is going to be how the whole world sees. They're going to see that you're my disciples. And so uh, I want to take you through a little journey this morning, a little exercise that I've been doing for about 10 years um, and so uh, the usher is going to begin to pass these out. I uh, hope we got enough in the room. And so you'll see a pin in front of you. If you want to grab a pin and the seat back in front of you, uh, you're going to need this. Um, and I'm going to kind of guide you through what this exercise uh, will be. If you're watching online or, or listening on the podcast, we're turning to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. And we're going to process what God is speaking to us individually about living out his love. And as you get that, I want to make sure everybody's locked in, so I'll just give uh, just a, a second for those to get passed out. Grab a pen and, uh, and kind of buckle up and lean in as we are going to go down to verses 4 through 8 here and process what uh, God is speaking in our, in our life. Uh, there's a, so he, it's so simple. You don't need to be staring at your paper. I'm going to walk you through what's about to happen. You got a pen. Um, let me walk you through what's going to happen. First of all, um, in about five minutes, you're going to think to yourself, this is taking a really long time. Does he realize how long this is taking? Yes, I know how long this is taking. And yes, this is important. Okay? So it's, it's going to happen. About halfway through this, three quarters of the way through this, you're going to want to check out. Because your brain's going to be thinking about one of the last things I said. And I want, you to just, I want you to stay locked in with me. I want you to make sure you get all of it. Because the, the thing you meet, need may be the very last thing we get to. So just... just Make sure you, you kind of track with me. There's going to be that, that tendency to want to disconnect. Stay, stay locked in uh, with me. There, there's also a couple other things that are going to take place. Again, I've been doing this for 10 years, two or three times a year, this exercise. I'm going to lead you in. Um, and, and another thing that's going to happen is you're going to have some emotions kind of flooding through, some thoughts that are coming in. Um, and let me explain a couple of those to you. The first thing that's going to be taking place is this pit in your stomach. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's me. And it's a little frown will hit your face. A little pit in your stomach and be like, yeah, that, that's me. And, and that's the conviction of God. And, and it feels awful in the moment, but as believers, I want you to begin to frame and know that that's a good thing. Like God is actually drawing you. And so when, here, here's, when you feel that, when you're like, that's me, I want you to go ahead and just turn your body towards God. Not body, but you know, spiritually speaking. I want you to turn yourself towards God because conviction is meant to lead us to God. It's lead us toward back God. And so we repent. And, and God, I'm sorry, I haven't been this way. Would you lead me into your love? Okay? So I want that to be our gut response is repentance and, and prepare you for that. And the second thing that's going to take place is is condemnation. And these are lies from the enemy. These are things that are entering our brain that like, yeah, that's right. You're screw up. You've always been like that. Your mom was like that. Your grandma was like that. Your dad was just like that. It's going to be lies to the enemy. And that's condemnation. And Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so we need to stiff arm those voices. We need to stiff arm those lies that come into our brain and just set those aside and continue to pursue 
pursue Christ and what God's speaking to us, okay? Does that make sense? I just want you to be prepared because this is heavy. This might be your favorite message ever or your least favorite message ever. But um, like I said, five minutes through, you're going to be like, this is taking a long time. I know, okay? So just be ready for it. It it really helps us kind of know what God's speaking in the moment, okay? Let's read this text slower than we've ever read it. Love is patient. Love is patient. You can go ahead and go to the next slide. We're not going to read through the whole thing. We're taking it one one phrase. This is what it is. Here's what I want you to do in the exercise. As you hit something that, like, that's me, I want you to underline it or circle it. And then there's a scripture associated with it. I want you to write the scripture down. This is for you to look up in the next few moments and in a little bit when we have a response time. I'm not even going to read through all of them. They're just, they're just for you. This is like, a, like you can go to this and understand what God is speaking. And this is basically a, a mini discipleship course in the character of God. That's what this is. It's a mini discipleship course in the character of God and how well we're doing at representing him uh, in our spaces. So let's talk about love is patient. How are you doing here? How are you doing here? How are you doing at home? How are you doing in traffic? How are you doing when, when lunch in the morning, getting ready and trying to get out the door? How are you doing with your spouse? How are you doing with that one coworker in that meeting that you're just like about to choke them out? Like, how are you doing? Love's patient. Love is patient. If that's you, underline it, circle it, right? Second Peter 3, 9. Love is patient. Secondly, love is kind. How are you doing here? Are, are you representing the loving kindness of God? Or is it always a critical word? It, are you angry, Dad? Are you angry, Mom? Are you an angry coworker? You you walk in with a chip on your shoulder, and every time somebody says you're you're ready to cut at them, how are we doing here? Titus 3, 4 through 7. How are you doing? Love does not envy. How are you doing? You looking at your neighbor's house or your neighbor's spouse? How are you doing? Envy in their compensation package, envy in their raise, envy in their promotion, envy in their abilities. How are we doing here? Proverbs 13, 14, 30. Underline it, circle it, write the scripture down. That's for us this morning. Love does not boast. Love does not boast. This is you this morning. Been puffing your chest out, bragging about what a great parent you are, bragging about, you know, your, your compensation, bragging about everything that, and kind of just rubbing it in people's face, kind of boasting yourself about your own skills. Love doesn't boast. Ephesians 2, eight, the, the salvation is a gift of God so that no man can boast, so that we can't boast. How are you doing here? Love's not proud. Love's not proud. How are you doing? How do you see yourself? Pride's a, uh, such a deep well of um, sin, and it comes out in a lot of ways. Um, how, how are you doing at, um, I, I would say, can you admit you're wrong? Proud people can't admit they're wrong. When's the last time you admitted you're wrong? Um, love is not proud. How, how are you doing at forgiving? 
Like proud people can't, can't let it go, can't forgive. Love is not proud. Are you learning from others? Do you always need to be recognized? Do you always need a pat on the back? No one says anything about me. No one ever recognized me. Love's, love's not proud. James 4, 6. Write it down. Circle it up if that's you today. Love does not dishonor others. It does not dishonor. It builds up. It doesn't tear down. It builds up. It builds up. Our, have you been a builder? Have you been a tearing down? At home? At work? Come on, you're tearing that department down? Love does not dishonor. How are you doing it at honoring others? How are you doing it honoring your spouse? How are you doing it honoring your parents, students? How are we doing there? Love does not dishonor. Uh, love honors. How are you doing it at, at, at honoring your, your leaders, your spiritual leaders? How are you doing honoring? Romans 12, 10, write it down, circle it up. If that's you this morning, I told you it's going to take a while. It's good. It's good. And we're going to hit this point, and again, we feel these things coming on, like, oh, it's me, and it's like guilt, shame's coming. No, I'm stiff-arming that. I'm turning towards repentance. I'm preparing my heart. God, would you, I, I want to come back at your feet. God, I need to be filled up. And what happens in this is we find ourselves very humbled, very humbled in knowing that we fall short of the glory of God. We sh- fall short on our own of representing this. And what happens in this breaking down, this humbling process to know that I'm not perfect is I'm opened up to allow God to fill me up with his love and represent his love every day. Uh, love is not self-seeking. How you doing here? How often are you thinking about your own needs? And how often are you thinking about how you can serve others? We go searching for purpose in our life, and I said it last week, like purpose is, is our life is about serving others, about building others. others. We're never going to find purpose in serving ourselves. We will find ourselves empty every time. How often are you thinking about serving others? Philippians 2, 1 through 10, write it down if that's you. Just caught up in your own world. I, like I need more rest and, and I need them to do this. And if they would just do that, caught up in our self-seeking, that's you. Love is not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. How short how short's that fuse? Come on. Let's get real. It just takes one thing. It takes one moment. We're easily angered. James 1.9, write it down, circle it up. In traffic, in the grocery store, the next person that we easily anger with our children. We're ready to just jump down our spouse's throat. Hey, hey, we, we think the problem's always out there, don't we? Problems with that person. If they, if they, if they, no, no, no. It starts right here. It starts in receiving the love of God. It, it starts with, God, I actually need your love, and, and I need to read James 1.19 and know how patient you are with me. It starts with me being reminded of that and knowing that you're not easily angered, God. Um, love keeps no record of wrong. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. We're human. We keep score. I, you know exactly how many times you've forgiven them, and you're over it. I heard one person uh, say uh, not too long ago that if, if you know how many times you've forgiven someone, you haven't forgiven them at all. <laughs> it's true. Is there a scoreboard in your head that knows what bills they pay for and what bills you pay for? Is there a scoreboard in your head that knows uh, wh- how many times you've had to clean up their socks this week? Is, <laughs> love keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love keeps no record of wrongs. How you doing here? Circle it down, write it up. Eight, uh, Matthew 18, 21, 22. Uh, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. I think this is one maybe we have difficulty wrapping our brains around from time to time, but it, I heard it explained to me. There's two things to this. One is I heard it explained to me a long time ago that be very careful the things you laugh at and the things you cry at, for it reveals everything to God about what's in your heart. Be very careful what you laugh at, what you cry at. Are you laughing at evil? Things that God does not take delight in? Are you laughing and finding enjoyment in e- the things of this world, in, in evil? Are you rejoicing with the truth, the purity of speech, the purity of heart? I, I find another one that we need to lean into here. Love does not delight with evil. Let me ask you this question. Do you get small, simple pleasure when someone else suffers? Particularly someone you're, you, you don't like? Like things, like they break down, well, yeah, they kind of deserved it. And you just kind of, there's just this little simple, subtle, silent thought in your head that you kind of enjoy the fact that someone else is hurting. Can you mourn with others? Can, can you rejoice with others? First Peter one twenty two is this you? So you write it down, circle it up. Paul makes a shift here and he begins to use always statements, like always, always. He says, love always protects not sometimes, not maybe, uh, not some things. Love always protects it. It bears all things. It covers all things. Love, love covers all things. It bleeds into everything. It bleeds into every part of our life. How are we doing here? Not, not sometimes, not some things. How are we doing? Love protects. Are you protecting your spouse? You got their back? You protecting your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you have their back? You protecting your pastor? You got my back? I got your back. I'm going to fight for you because I need you. You're part of me. We belong together. I'm going I'm to fight for you because if I'm fighting for you, I'm fighting for us, and that's me. I'm connected to the body. Love always protects. John 15, 13, if that's you, write it down. Circle it up this morning. Love always trusts. This is hard. Come on, I get it. It's trust. I've been burnt more times than I care to count. Love always trusts. It always trusts. It's all, I think this is love always believes the best. And love does not believe a lie. Love does not get caught up in believing a, a lie about a person, about a brother, about a sister. Love always trusts. Galatians 6 1. I got your back. I got your back. Love always trusts. Not some things, not sometimes, all the time. Love always hopes is the next one. This is you. You haven't struggled and hoping. If, if you've got a perpetual, um, negativity, uh, a consistent pessimism that anytime anything good happens, anytime someone is like bringing a ray of sunshine in the room and they're excited and you're just like, like, yeah, but, come on, some of your favorite phrases are yeah, but. You've been infected. You've been infected with habitual pessimism, and you're not hoping. You, uh, believers have such optimism. It's not in this world. It's not this wasting away world, but I think there's hope in this life too. God wants us to know life and know it to the fullest here on earth. There is hope today too. Is that you today? Someone's stolen something. God wants to reclaim it today in his presence. Love always perseveres. It's the last one. I get it. It's hard. Like, Life's a grind. Life's, 
hard and like emotionally we get to these low points and, and physically we're just exhausted at times. But love, like we get exhausted in our relationships. We get exhausted with our work, with our coworkers, with our church. Because love perseveres. Love's going to keep on going. Love's going to keep us together. I don't want you to just survive and I want us thriving in his presence. This is the year to flourish. Romans uh, 5, 3 through 6, 5. Romans 3, uh, 5, 3 through 5. That's for you this morning. Okay, everybody take a deep breath with me, okay? Deep breath, go ahead. Go ahead, right? That was long, like 15 minutes long, 10 minutes long or something. Right? I told you I was going to be long. It's heavy. I know it. You'll, you'll never read this passage again in the same. It's not, it's not warm fuzzies that God's leading us into. Paul was bringing correction on the most important thing in our life if we are to represent him to the world. Nothing else can take its place. Nothing else deserves that place because at the very core of who God is, he's love. This is who he is. And God has called us into himself. And, and I'm telling you, if that, if that conviction's there, just be posturing yourself. I, I feel it in the room. Some of us, we're just posturing ourselves toward repentance right now. And God's gonna bring us a moment uh, to come back to him and to be filled with his light and to be filled with his love. Here, here's what I believe in this room, is I believe we all want to be more loving. I, I believe we do. Uh, I, I believe we grow tired and we don't know where to go to find the love we need on a daily basis. And so we need to come back to the start of our first love. And that's the love of God that we can only give what we have received. And so if you've run out in your patience, if you've run out in your kindness, if you've run out in being easily angered, if, if you're having str- struggling to persevere, if we, we've run out because we've run away from the vine. We've run away from the one who called us and loved us, who's patient with us, who's kind to us, who kept no record of wrong the one who endured for us, the one who persevered for us, the one who trusts and believes and hopes in us. And he is our hope. You want to be more like Jesus? Grow in love. You want to be a better parent, a better grandparent? Grow in love. You want to be the spouse, like not, not like mom and dad, where you want to be the spouse that you know you're called to be? Grow in love. Like, what if, what if this whole thing, our maturity isn't measured by anything else but how much we're growing in God's love and representing that consistently in every environment? Then the world will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. I want to close today by finishing the chapter, and I'm going to call us to a time of response and reflection this morning. This is your time with the Lord. I want to read this text and I'm going to call us to a time of response. Beginning with verse 8. We love this one. Love never fails. Everybody say never with me. Come on, one more time. Never. It never fails. Where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, They'll be stilled where there is knowledge. It'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, not in us, in Jesus Christ, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. There won't be a need for spiritual gifts. We will be fully known even as we have, are, are, are uh, fully known. Um, when I was a, a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. 
When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me, and now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. And then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the goat. I want to ask you to stand across this place and just bow your heads with me and be prepared to move in his presence this morning, to to draw near to God as he is drawing near to us. With with every head bowed, I'm going to ask you in the next few moments to to make a response of some sort. I don't know what that response is going to be for you. Uh, For some of you, this altar is going to be open. There's prayer partners. Maybe you need to come pray with somebody. Maybe you need to come pray by yourself here at this altar. Maybe you you need to make an altar right there where you're at. And and this is a response. It's repentance. It's posturing ourselves back towards God to be filled with his love. Maybe you just need to lift your hands toward heaven and say, God, fill me up with your love because I'm empty in my own. God, fill me up once again. I'm I'm sorry, I'm coming, I'm coming back to your love today. I don't know what the response is for you. I don't know uh, which part of God's character is challenging us, but I know that God is pruning us this morning. So, so why it hurts. It's, there's a clipping away, there's a brushing away of the old life that Taryn talked about before and walking in the new that he is calling us to to represent his love. So this band's going to lead us, and I'm not going to walk you through all kinds of steps. I'm I'm just asking you to respond to what God's doing. Maybe you want to open up the scriptures and begin to read those verses. Maybe you you want to come pray with a prayer partner. I'm asking you to make a move. Make a move towards God this morning. God, I thank you for every head bowed, every person in this room, every person watching online, every person driving down the road listening to this word, God. And we feel convicted in our hearts, God, and we don't know where to go. Help us just to raise our hands, to open our hearts, and let you fill us. And as you fill us, God, would you shape us and mold us? And know that this is not done on our own because there is no perfect in us. It is when we die to ourselves that Christ can live through us and we can represent you to our world, God, to our families, to our children. God, would our children know your love through us, preaching it on a daily basis because we're not easily angered, teaching it on a daily uh, daily basis because we're kind. God, would they know what our coworkers know about your love because they hear how, how, how much we talk about, how much we love our, our church family, our body, our, our brothers and sisters. They would know, God, about your love because they see us protecting and persevering with one another. God, I thank you for this moment and time in which we have to respond, and so we respond indeed. We thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen.